Pastor Paul Boyer and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from the Scriptures will better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's listen to Pastor Paul as we study the Word together. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Victory Church this morning. It's great to be in the house of the Lord. Every time I come into this building, I feel like I'm in a special place. I feel the presence of the Lord here every time. And it's not this building. It's nothing to do with the, I was going to say the sticks and the mortar because it's steel and sheetrock, but it's nothing to do with this building. It's the spirit of the people that inhabit this building. It's you, the church, that make this special. So the spirit of God is here because you are here. And I thank you for coming out this morning. You had a lot of places you could go this morning, but the Lord moved you to come here to hear me and to hear this band and to share this time together. So, amen. Thank you, Earl. Pastor John asked me to fill in for him this week because he was going to be traveling. So we were discussing, you know... uh, Usually I say, what would you like me to preach on? He said, just whatever. I said, well, that doesn't help. You have anything in mind at all. He says, usually it's just whatever you're led to, whatever, pray about it, whatever the Holy Spirit lays on your heart, preach on that. He trusts me to come up with something through the, you know, the working of the Holy Spirit in my heart. He, he trusts me to come up with something that you need to hear and that I can stand in his pulpit and deliver for him in his stead. Well, this time was a little different. I asked him what what, uh, I should preach on, and he said he's starting a sermon series next week on the pillars of the church. Now, some of you have been around for a while. Remember the banners we used to have? Pillars of the the church, like evangelism, like like, uh, uh, fellowship, like service, like worship. The pillars. There's seven pillars of the church that we're built on. So he's going to start a series on these pillars. But before you can put up the pillars, what do you have to have? You've got to have a foundation. You've got to have something to put those pillars on. Because if you build the pillars without building the foundation, what happens? It all falls over, right? Because, yeah, it all falls over. You've got to have a foundation. So I am the rock. I am the foundation. No. The message today is to lay the foundation for the, service, the services to come, for the preaching to come, uh, the series that Pastor John is going to bring about the pillars of the church. But before we can do the pillars, we have to do the foundation. And what is the foundation of Victory Church? What do you think? Christ. Christ is the solid rock, right? We build upon the solid rock of Christ. That's true. But before you build anything, do you think the builders just came out here and, and we bought this, this 21 acres of, I mean, it was scrub brush. I mean, where we're at right now, you couldn't walk through it. It was so grown up with briars and thorns. And I wanted to bring my dad here and show him the property. We got about 15 yards into that, and we're just covered with cockleburrs and beggar lice and all that stuff. So we backed out and gave up. So do you think the builders, when they came out here, they stood and looked at that, and they said, well, let's just start putting stuff up. We'll just start building a building. No, they had to have a plan, right? They had to have a vision. They had to have something that laid out what the purpose of this building was. We didn't end up with a strip mall. We didn't end up with a gas station. We ended up with a house of God because we had a vision going into that. 
we knew what we wanted to accomplish. And, and not necessarily how we were going to get there, but we knew where we wanted to go. We knew what the building was going to look like before we ever built it because we made plans. We knew how it was going to be situated from the road or facing away from the road. The city wanted it facing the road. We said no. We turned it this way. And then they wanted us to put fake windows on that side. Anyway. So we had a plan. We had a vision. So what I want to talk to you today is about, about is the vision. I want to go into our vision statement. How many of you know what Victory Church's vision statement is? Okay. I'll tell you. Victory Church has a vision statement. And you might say, well, what is a vision statement? Why do we need a vision statement? How many of you work in industry? I work in the military. I know the military has a vision statement. I know that every military organization has a vision statement. And then right behind that vision statement, they have a mission statement. This is what we envision doing. This is how we're going to do it. So you build from that foundation of the vision. So here's, here's the vision for Victory Church. Ready? To build D6 families to carry out the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Sounds simple. We're going to build D6 families that are going to carry out the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. That's the vision. Everything we do here has got to support that vision or we shouldn't be doing it. Everything from the ladies that are working in the kitchen, passing out snacks and making coffee, to the, to the workers in the children's church right now, to, the, to the, the volunteers that come in here and clean the sanctuary and clean the windows, to the pastors that are preparing their sermons and supporting Pastor John, to everything we do has got to be in support of that vision statement. If it's not, we're acting against ourselves. We're working outside of our own vision. So that's the vision statement, to build D6 families to carry out the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Sounds simple, but it's the most profound words that I think we could have come up with. I think that's the most profound statement that any of us will ever utter, if you think about it. We're tasked, and our vision, what we're here to do is to build D6 families, and we'll talk about what that means. To carry out what? The Great Commission and the Great Commandment, and we'll talk about what those mean. It's not simple. It's, it's, it's huge. If you think about it, you boil that all down, what it really is, is the gospel. It's all of Scripture encapsulated into one sentence. And I'm excited about I'm excited about unpacking that for you. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this time. We thank you for this place, this sanctuary that you allowed us to have. And you empowered us to build to your name, to house your people, and to act as a base for our vision to be carried out in the world. We thank you, Lord, for this family, which is what we are, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you brought together this morning to share our love with each other, to share our love for you with each other, to hear the words spoken in truth and with clarity. Lord, I ask that you be with this service, that your spirit be here amongst us now, that you inhabit this place, that you fill it with your glory, that you make everything they said here, everything that is sung here, all the love that is shared here, glorify you and magnify you to the world and to each of us. Lord, I ask that you be with me. Give me special power. Give me words to speak. Open my mind and open my lips to what you would have me to say. 
bring me in alignment with you so that it's my, my will is supplanted with yours and your will be done. We ask this all in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so that's our vision statement. So let's unpack that a little bit. Let's start with D6. Now, what do you think D6 is? Deuteronomy chapter 6. No, it's a vitamin. D6 is a vitamin, right? It's like, it's like, what's vitamin C do? Builds up your immune system. You've got to have vitamin C. What does vitamin D do? Builds up your bones and all that. You have to have these things in order to be healthy. And in order to prosper, you have to have these vitamins. Now, these vitamins are not really, most of them are catalysts. Most of, you should know what a catalyst is. It's something that doesn't actually get involved in the chemical reaction, but allows it to occur or accentuates it. So vitamin C doesn't really do anything except make other things happen, right? And that's what Deuteronomy 6 does. Deuteronomy 6 in itself is nothing. But Deuteronomy 6, taken in its entirety, is this catalyst that makes things happen and gels things together and allows us to grow into it. It's, so I call, I call D6, D6 is the soul vitamin. you got vitamins for your bones, you got vitamins for your teeth, you got D6 is the vitamin for the soul. That's the catalyst that makes things happen. It makes these reactions take place. It builds things up. It makes you prosper. That's what D6 is. So we're going to talk about Deuteronomy 6. First of all, what is Deuteronomy? A little history lesson here. What is Deuteronomy? It's kind of a strange word. It's not one you probably use in your normal conversations at school or at work or whatever. What is Deuteronomy? Well, Deuteronomy is a Greek translation of the the Latin word translated into English. Okay, so we end up with this word Deuteronomy. In Greek, it means the second law. Well, what does that mean? Well, a little history lesson going back to Egypt. We have the exodus from Egypt and all the miraculous things that God did to bring his people out of bondage in Egypt and bring them out and take them to the Holy Land. And they're moving out of Egypt and God, God parted the Red Sea and he did all brought water from the, the rocks and he provided quail and he provided manna and he did all those wonderful things for his people. Right. So this is all these things. And then the people grumbled and they they got to the Holy Land. They sent the spies in. The spies came back, you know, 10 of the 12 spies came back and said, oh, there's no way. The people are too big. They're giants in there. You know, our God isn't big enough to handle that. Caleb and Joshua said, I beg to differ, but they weren't they weren't listened to. So God turned them away from the promised land. They were there in 30 days. But instead, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. During that time, Moses literally laid down the law. As God brought the law to him, he shared it with the people. So read Exodus. Read Leviticus. You will find out, and Numbers, you will find out the law of God, what God wants his people to know and what he wants his people to understand. He's laying down the law. Now, there's everything in the law from how to treat each other, how to live together, what to, do, what to do if you inadvertently kill somebody, to how to treat mildew. It's in there. He laid down the law. It took 40 years and all the wanderings in the desert. Well, what happened during that time is all of the original adults that left Egypt, that rebelled against God, 
and caused you know, so much trouble, they all died in the desert. Not one of them, except Caleb and Joshua, were allowed to enter the Holy Land. So by the time we get to this point, by the time we get to Deuteronomy, they have the, the, the time of wandering is over. And they're back at the Jordan. They're going to cross into the Holy Land. But Moses knows that he's not going to be allowed to enter the Promised Land. He can see it from afar. God takes him to the top of the mountain and he sees across the river and he sees the Holy Land. But he knows he's not going to be able to enter in. So this is, this is the end of his journey. He's fulfilled his mission here on earth. He's brought the people of God out of Egypt into the Holy Land. And they're actually going to achieve They're actually going to see the fulfillment of the promise. So what does Moses do? In Deuteronomy, he gives us the cliff note version. He goes into Deuteronomy in a series of speeches that he gives, and he lays down the law again. He encapsulates it for us. He distills it down to to the major points. He says, let me remind you of all the things that God has ordained for you. Let me remind you of all the lessons that he's taught and all the law that he's laid down. He doesn't go into into the detail that might have gone into in Leviticus and the other chapters, other books, but he condenses this down as these are the things that God wants you to know before you go into the Holy Land. In Greek, like I said, it's translated into second law is what it means in Greek. The Hebrew word that we end up with translated into Deuter- as Deuteronomy literally means these are the words. These are the words of God. So Moses, right before his death, gives a series of speeches to the people. Let me remind you what God has done for you. Let me remind you about the exodus. Let me remind you about the rebellion. Let me remind you about the judgment. Let me remind you about the the promised land, and all the things that God has promised for us and all this. So Moses is reminding the children of the Exodus what their fathers had done and what God had done for their fathers. It must have been pretty important, don't you think? These are his last words. What do you think your last words will be? If you know that your time is up, you would think your last words would be something pretty profound, right? I think if if you knew that you only had a short time left on this earth before God was going to call you home, you'd you'd bring your family around you and you'd tell them how much you loved them and you you would tell them how much you appreciated them. And then you would bring your friends and your your church family together and you'd say, thank you so much for... It would be important stuff. It would be stuff that's meaningful to you. What were Moses' last words? The law of God. He's laying down the law of God again. Because it's so important that before they go into the Holy Land, they understand who God is and what His expectations are and how they fit into His plan. So He reminds them of the history of the nation, the sins of their fathers, and the promises of God. So if you're taking the cue and you're on Deuteronomy 6, you can read along with me. Deuteronomy 6, it says, starting in verse 1, This is the command, the statutes and the ordinances... The Lord, your God. Let's pause right there a minute. This is the command, the statutes and the ordinances. So he'd already laid it all out for them. He said that the Lord, your God. He didn't say the Lord God. He didn't say the God of heaven. He didn't say the God Almighty. He didn't even say Yahweh. He said the Lord, your God. 
Think about that. If I stand here and tell you this is what the Lord, your God, wants you to do, how would you repeat that to me? You would say, the Lord, my God, wants me to do this, right? You would personalize it. It would become part of you. He is saying, the Lord, your God. Everybody say that with me. The Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. Specifically, your God. Now, Moses must have thought this was pretty important. It has a significance because he says that 250 times in this book. He wants to make sure that we get it. This isn't just a God. This is your personal God. This is the command, the statutes, and the ordinance that your God wants you to know. This is the command, the statutes, and the ordinances. The Lord, your God, has instructed me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you're about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord, your God, all the days of your life by keeping his statutes and commands I am giving you, your son and your grandson, so that they may live a long life. Listen, Israel. Pay attention. Listen. Listen, Israel. Be careful to follow them. Now, does anybody know what Israel literally means? The word Israel? It means wrestles with God. Jacob became Israel after his battle with God, the battle with the angel of God. It means wrestles with God. So here is Moses telling Israel, wrestles with God. Listen, this is important. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Now we get to the Shema. This is the meat of Deuteronomy 6, chapter 6. This is, the Christian church is built around the next few, next few, uh, next few verses. This is so important. This is the first bit of scripture that the Hebrew children learn from memory. They learn the Shema. And it goes like this. It says, listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, what does that mean? There have been atheists and others who are outside the Christian community that will use this scripture out of context to say that, our, that this denies the Trinity. How can there possibly be three gods? Because it says the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Well, that word translated literally means unity. So it's more accurately said, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is unity. It's the same word that's used to describe the marriage of a man and a woman when they become one flesh. doesn't mean they literally become one animal. It means they are united. It's unity. So it says, the Lord our God is one unity, one body made up of three parts, or, or the, three, the three parts of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Lord our God is one. It's one God in three persons. Verse 5 says, Love the Lord our God, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. 
Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That's the Shema. All the scripture are encapsulated in these words. What were we created for? Let's go back to Genesis. What were we created for? We were created to love God. That's what he created us for. God wanted to have communion with us. He created this, the world and everything in it. He created the universe and everything in it. He created it all to have a place for us to have communion and love and fellowship with Him. So we're to love God. That's what we are created for. And God wants nothing more from us than this. He wants us to love Him and honor Him and praise Him. That's all He asked of us. This is the ultimate command. Love the Lord your God. Because without love, without a heartfelt and sure and steady love, we can do nothing. And he didn't say love God when you feel like it. He didn't say love God as much as my spouse. I love God as much as my job. I love God as much as my 2015 BMW GTL exclusive with a six-cylinder engine and 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 heated grips and seat. He didn't say that. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. That he's to come first before everything, before anything. That love the Lord your God with everything you are, the very essence of your being. You should love God. Every molecule of your body should be crying out to God. Thank you. That's what he said. Love of God with everything. And then what are we supposed to do with these words? We're supposed to, these words are to be in your heart. And what does that mean? They're to become part of who you are emotionally, psychologically, especially spiritually. Loving the Lord your God and incorporating these words into your heart. This is not just something you do. This is not just a list of of do's and don'ts that you have to check off every day to make sure that you're doing the right things. It's to become part of who you are. The love of God should permeate everything. It's written in your heart. Where your heart goes, you will go. It's to be part of who you are. And then what do you do with all that? What do you do with that? You've got the love of God in your heart. and You've got the commands of God. You've got... You've got the law that he laid down for us in your heart. What do you do with it? Huh? Yeah, go ye. We'll get there, Earl. What do you do with it? Well, he says, when these words I have given you today in Testament, bring them into your heart. Repeat them to who? To your children. Yes, repeat them to your children. Pass your faith to the next generation. That's part of our mission statement. Our vision statement, and then we have a mission statement. Part of our mission statement is to pass our faith to the next generation. Talk about it with your kids. Karl Marx said, give me your child before they're five years old, and I'll give you back a good communist. Their values are formed in your lap, around that bottle. When they're sitting in a high chair, flinging green peas all over the kitchen. That's when their values are being formed. You can't start when they're teenagers. It's too late by then. 
Their values are formed when they're small, when they're children. So you take these things of God and you impress them. Now, the King James Version says, impress these things on their hearts. We talk, we, this, our version says, talk about them when you sit. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign. But I, I think it impress them on the hearts of your kids. Who's the, fi- who's the primary faith trainer of your children? Whose responsibility is it to make them good Christian people? It, parents, it's you. You are the primary faith trainer of your kids. It's not the church. It's not the youth group. It's not Awanas. All those things are great. They're there to help you train your children in the way that they should go. You are the one that God will hold accountable for your children. Not me, not the church, not the Awanas leaders, not the Sunday school. It'll be you. Talk about these things when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. They should become part of your life. Everything should revolve around your love of God and, and, and his, his commands. They, they're just there. This isn't something that you say for Sunday morning, for Sunday school. This is something that is in your home 24-7. It's part of the atmosphere that you, you and your kids are breathing is, is the things of God. Prayer, worship, fellowship, Bible study. That's all should become part of who you are. On your, way to, on your way to school in the morning in the minivan with the kids beating each other over the head and spilling their lunchbox on each other and shooting their juice box across the van, talk about God. It's important. You should always be there. And he says to bind it on your hand and let it be a symbol on your forehead. The world should be able to see who you are. The word should affect you to the point where the world knows who you are. They can tell from your life. So that's Deuteronomy 6. It's the center of everything. It's all that we do as Christians and as a church. It puts us in the center of God's will. It manifests itself in our attitudes and our service and our prayer life and our love for each other and our love for the Word. God wants us, His children, to receive these words in our hearts and be partakers of the blessings that He has in store for us. He still has this land of flowing with milk and honey for us to possess, doesn't He? But the one that He has for us is much greater, much grander than anything Moses was talking about. He was talking about a literal place in the Middle East. God has for us a promised land which is a literal place in heaven. That land, that promised land, was a fulfillment of a promise. And as great as it was, it was only a type or a shadow of what he has in store for us. Our promised land is much better than that dry hunk of rock on the side of a mountain in Israel. Jesus, greater than Moses, is leading us out of slavery and into a better promise. The land that he has for us is better by far. See, because heaven is our promised land. After our escape from the bondage of sin, through the, vic- through the miraculous victory of the Pharaoh of our lives, we were promised a home far better than anything Moses could have imagined. You see, salvation in heaven are what's in store for us. 
And how is that made possible? If we love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important command in Scripture? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Then he went on to say, the next is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Deuteronomy 6 is still important. It still applies to us. We've been given this special heavenly gift. We've been given eternal life. We've been given heaven as our home. We've been given Christ as our Lord. And the glory of God will shine around us forever. And when we get to this promised land, there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more worry. There'll be no more war or starvation. It's all swept away. And it's replaced with everything that's perfect. He's given this this as a gift. He says, remember these things. I've given you this gift. It's freely offered. All you have to do is hear and believe. This gift is reserved only for a few? No. This gift is free for everyone. In 2 Peter 3.9 it says, The Lord does not delay His promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This gift that we have, this promised land that we can possess, is, is there for us, but it's available for all who believe. Because God wants all His children to find their way there. And how is that possible? Only through the Son. God wants every person everywhere and every time to come to repentance. He hasn't condemned anyone. It is the message about Jesus that brings people to salvation. Jesus alone is the way. Jesus says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the answer, the only answer. And God wishes that everyone has heard the good news. So what is the good news? Romans 10 says, starting in verse 8, this is the message of faith that we proclaim. Now listen carefully. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We could stop there. It didn't say if you do the following things. It didn't say if you were confirmed or, or you've had the right ceremonies. It didn't say that you were baptized into the church. It says if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. One believes with his heart, resulting in righteousness. One confesses with his mouth, resulting in what? Resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you heard the message? Okay. Do you believe it? Have you confessed it? If so, then heaven is your home. That promised land that I was talking about, much greater than the promised land that Moses knew, is yours. Because you are now worshiping the Lord, your God. 
Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you in that land. He said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I, won't, I would have told you. And he's going to come back and he's going to gather us all together. And we're all going to heaven, to this promised land, this place that he's prepared. And I think that's pretty exciting. I think I need to tell somebody this story. I think that there's something that needs to happen. John was talking about having a concealed carry class this week, right? And this just popped in my mind. I don't know if, I don't know if the Holy Spirit put it there or if the devil put it there or what, but this just popped into my mind. I got my concealed carry license just the other day. This came in the mail. And I'm not carrying today. But I am. But I've got a weapon much more powerful than, than a 38. I am carrying a weapon. Now, the concealed carry class that I took didn't cover edged weapons like the sword of the spirit. But what struck me is that so many of us think that we have a concealed carry license for this. I've got it. You can't see it. And if you do see it poking out a little bit, like what's called printing, right? Where you can you see, sorry, you see the little gun butt sticking out or something. It's called printing. If you can see it print, people are wondering what the heck's going on with you. What we need is what Missouri's got. Open carry. This is the sword of the spirit. I'm going to fight with it. It's right here. You got a question? Looky here. Don't have to look under my shirt to see if I'm if I'm packing. I'm packing. And I'm bringing it to you. Open carry. Let's be open carry Christians, all right? Yeah, open carry Christians. Too many of us are concealed carry Christians. We've got the message, but we're not telling anybody. We're not taking this anywhere. So we've got Deuteronomy 6 covered, right? We talked about what Deuteronomy 6 means and what that means to us and what does it mean to, be, to the Christian, how our promised land is coming. Now we've got a message. We've got to take this message somewhere. That's the next part. The Great Commission. The Great Commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. That's the Great Commandment. The Great Commission comes next. Now that we've got all this, now that the promised land is ours, now that we have this, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and we've got the Word to fight with, we need to take this to the streets. We need to get out there and tell somebody about this. This is what we're called to do. Is the church here to evangelize the world? No. The church is here to build you up so you can evangelize the world. This doesn't exist so that Victory Church can go out and tell people about the gospel. This exists so Victory Church can build you so you can go tell people about the gospel. That's what the church does. It's not Pastor John's responsibility to save the world. It's yours. You've been given a commission. All right, you military people know what a commission is, right? Special... Because of special trust, and, and I forget how the terminology goes, but it's very, very. Because of special trust and recognition of your talents and your skills, the United States government is going to empower you to act on its behalf and do these things. That's what a commission is. When you commission a ship, you commission it to go out and do stuff. You don't commission a ship to sit in the harbor. A commission is you're given the authority from somebody, and in their authority, you take that out and do the vision. You carry out the vision. That's what a commission is. 
So we've got this. We've got this wonderful message. What do we do about it? Paul goes on to say in verse 14, but how can they call on him if they in? Okay, let me start over. But how can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. So this leaves us with a problem. How can those who have not heard hear? They need someone to tell them the good news. Now, don't get thrown by why it says, how can they hear without a preacher? That doesn't mean an ordained preacher is responsible for telling the world. Guess who the preacher is? Yeah, the preacher's you. And me. It's still my responsibility. They can't hear unless they have a preacher. They need somebody to tell them the good news. And I like this part. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good news. Well, honey, get your pedicure. Because you're about to go. Here's the Great Commission. This is what God wants us to do. Now that we've been empowered with all of this, now that we've been commissioned and given authority, this is what you're to do. This is Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. It says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped. But some doubted. And I could go off on that. that. That's a whole other sermon. Then Jesus came near and said to them, What? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I am commissioning you from my authority. Now, I used to be, when I was in the Coast Guard, I was doing law enforcement boardings. I was chasing drug smugglers in the Gulf of Mexico. And I was carrying a pistol on my on my this hip, left-handed. I was carrying a pistol. Sometimes I was carrying an M16 or a riot shotgun, and we had a machine gun on the boat. And we're chasing drug smugglers around the Gulf of Mexico. I just decided one day that would be fun, so I went and got a boat, and I went out and chased drug smugglers. No, I was doing it under the authority of the United States government. I didn't have the authority to do that. I couldn't arrest anybody on my own, but the government could. And they said, come here, son, we're going to commission you to chase drug smugglers in the Gulf of Mexico. Christ says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So here's your commission. Ready? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, the word nations here, if translated literally, well, the original Greek word was all of the ethnos, which means people. So it could be read... Therefore, and make disciples of everyone, of all the people. When he says nations, they're not talking about geographic boundaries. He's talking about the nations of the peoples. Go to all the nations of the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission. That's your marching orders. We're to tell the story. We're to spread the news. We're to tell the world what God has done for us. 
We are not to be the, the candle under the bushel. We're to be the city on the hill. We're to be the city on the hill that can't be hidden. We're not to be concealed carry Christians. We're to be ambassadors for Christ. We're to bring the knowledge of the truth of God and His saving grace to the world. We're to, we're to tell them about our tell them our story and bring them to the point where they can accept the free gift. We're to bring them in. We're to get them saved, and then we're to get them wet. That's what we're called to do. But there's more. There's more. Bringing them in is great. Butts in the seats. Good job. We're going to two services. Let's fill them up. Let's have standing room only. Let's go to three services and four. Let's do a Saturday night. Fill the place up so we can't hold it anymore. If God blesses that and honors that, that would be wonderful. Get them in here. Bring them in so they can hear the message. Work, we, we plant the seed. And then the working of the Holy Spirit will change their hearts and bring them to repentance and bring them to the point where they can accept Jesus Christ and, they be, and then eventually they can be some saved. It's not us who saves them. It's the work of God that saves them. But we plant the seeds. We prepare the ground. So get them in here. Let's get them ready to be saved. Let them hear the message. And then let's get them wet. Let's have that thing set up every... Instead of just once a, a quarter, let's have the bathtub set up every Sunday. Let's get them in here, get them saved, get them baptized. But we're not done. Too often we stop there. We, we have evangelism campaigns. We go out and we spread the word, tell the world. That's good. But when the people react... When they respond, when the Holy Spirit touches their heart and brings them to us, what are we supposed to do then? Oh, it's nice to meet you. Go ahead and sit down. Don't bother me. No, we're to make disciples. What makes disciples means is we're to train them up. We're to build them up. We're to, we're to, to take the, the, the milk of the Word and feed it to these infant Christians and build them up until they're meat eaters and carnivores. And then they're missionaries. And then they're ambassadors. And we send them out and they go get more. That's what we're to do. We're to get them saved. And then we're supposed to make disciples of them. A disciple is a learner. We're supposed to teach them to observe everything I have commanded you, as it says. It's not enough to witness and evangelize. We also have to teach and prepare the people. So there you have it. The man wants to come up. I'm just about done. So there you have it. Our vision statement is to build D6 families to carry out the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. That's our vision. That's our vision as the church of Jesus Christ. That's our mission as the church, Little C, Victory Church in O'Fallon, Illinois. That's our mission as individual believers. That's what we're called to do. That's the vision. Everything we do must support that vision. If we get outside of that vision, there's a good chance we're outside of the will of God. That vision is everything. We can build on that solid foundation in our lives and in our spiritual lives, the lives of our children, 
the lives of this church, the lives of the global church, and in the community, and the country, and the world. If we carry out the vision, things will change. We're not just a body of believers, we're a body of warriors. And we've been commanded to go to war and fight a battle. We fight it through the scripture and our love for God. That's our commission. So that's it. Fourteen simple words. But they're filled with the glory of God. That's the mission. That's the vision. But before you can become part of this mission, before you can receive that commission, you have to do what? You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Because that's where the power to carry out the commission comes from. I had no power of my own to do law enforcement. The power I had came from those above me, the authority. The authority you have is from Jesus Christ himself, who has been granted all authority by God. He authorizes you to work in his stead, to tell his message, and to bring his people into the house of God. That's your commission. So as we go forward from here, think about it. What is your responsibility? What are you called to do as a Christian, as a member of Victory Church? As a member of the global church, as a member of God's family, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Impress this on the hearts of your children. Bring them up in the way that they should go. When they're old and old, they shall not depart from it. Spread the word. Evangelize. Disciple. Grow. And mature the body of Christ. That's what Victory Church is here for. That's the foundation that we build on. Without that, we're nothing. Let's pray. Lord, your message is heartfelt. Your message is strong and powerful and clear. Sometimes it can be so cloudy. Sometimes we don't know what we should do and how we should serve you. This message drills down to the core of everything. Everything we do should revolve around these simple statements. It's central to who we are in you and who you are. Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not love you with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength, I ask, Lord, that you move in their hearts right now, right now today. You move in their hearts. Bring them into repentance. Lord, I ask you to convict me. When I'm putting things before you, remind me that I'm to love you with everything. And everything else is secondary. So remind me when my job gets before you. Remind me when my family gets before you. Remind me when my pleasure and my leisure gets before you. Convict my heart. Bring me to repentance. Because, Lord, I love you. And I long to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength. Only you can give me the power to do that. Lord, if there's anyone here that needs that power, move in their heart today. Show them the way that they can be in full service to you. Let them become the Lord, their God. Lord, we realize that we have a, a task in front of us. 
that you've given us a commission, that you're sending us out to be your ambassadors and to spread the good news throughout the world. Give us the power to do that. Give us the ability to do that. Take away all the things that would stand in the way of being your your preachers, to being your children. Because, Lord, we look forward so much to that promised land, to that which you have promised for those that love you. And all of your promises come true. You will never deny us. You'll never forsake us. Everything that you have said will be ours. Sometimes we won't deserve it. Often we won't deserve it. But you hold out that hope. So, Lord, move through this body. Build them up. Give them beautiful feet as they spread the word throughout the world. Fill your houses of worship up. Lord, we're calling you to people to fight, to, to, to be the Christians that you would have them to be. Lord, I ask that you go with us now as we go out into the battlefield and we take this word to a dying world. Praise you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, at Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.